It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you. And it's just me today because Courtney Cronin has been a little under the weather. And I've gotten a a couple of really good questions through email, matthewcollar at gmail.com. If you guys want to send any more questions through the off season, we're going to be answering them, but I figured the people who sent good questions wouldn't want to wait so I could get them an answer. And then we can answer even more when uh, Courtney is back on the podcast for next week. And of course, as always, we're going to have more guests breaking down players have gotten really good responses on the breakdowns of Brian O'Neill and, and Stefan Diggs in previous episodes. So all of you are awesome for doing that and appreciate you all reaching out with your emails or tweets or, or whatever it might be uh, to let us know to keep doing that. So I'm going to keep finding unique guests for you and I've got some cool things planned going forward, but I figured every once in a while we could just talk about some football questions that uh, get sent to me and some tweets that get sent to me and see where we go from there. So I'm just going to start out by answering a question that I got from Jake through uh, email. He asked about Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins, what we expect their pro football focus grades to be for 2018. So just to let you know how pro football focus does their grades, they look at each individual play and each individual throw, and then they grade them on a scale of minus two to two. So if it's a, perfect tight window throw 25 yards down the field that's a two if a guy drops back and throws it right into the hands of a defender right in front of him that would be a minus two and your zeros are like just take for example a a little flat route or screen where you take the snap and you execute it the way it's supposed to be executed you didn't do anything above the norm but you also executed it how it was supposed to happen so that would be like a zero So you're just looking at how the guy was throwing the football, more or less. And Case Keenum last year, he ended up as the number nine ranked quarterback by Pro Football Focus. And that's really, really good to be in the top 10, just looking at his throws and where they landed and the results and so forth. And Kirk Cousins was 19th, which might make some people say, wow, I mean, we gave up the ninth quarterback for the 19th ranked quarterback just by looking at their throws. But I think what Jake's question is really getting at is just how much these things 
are impacted by your supporting cast and your situation. And I would say they're impacted quite a bit. I mean, if you look at Case Keenum and how he performed with the Rams, his pro football focus grades might have suggested to you that he was a fringe starting quarterback is what you would have come away with. Not that he was a terrible backup or anything like that, but that he was a decent, maybe the 25th or 26th best quarterback. But last year, he was throwing to a lot of wide open wide receivers, and he was also throwing a lot of short passes. So a lot of his value and a lot of his good grades were coming from the zeros, from executing exactly what he was supposed to execute. And I'll give you an example. Maybe this can help you kind of get it in your mind for how this works. Against the Detroit Lions, he throws a screen pass to Stephon Diggs, and Nick Easton blocks out in front of him, and or maybe it was Pat Elfline, and, and Diggs dodges a guy and goes 20 yards down the field for a first down late in that game is a huge play. And Case Keenum didn't really do anything other than just what he needed to do in that situation, but he got the job done, and they got a big gain out of it. Another example might be against Atlanta when Adam Thielen burned Atlanta's corner at the end of that game. Keenum was not asked to make some beautiful tight window rocket throw, but he was asked to make the right read and find his man in a key situation. He did that a lot last year, and what you should come away with is Thielen and Diggs both made special plays to help him out quite a bit. And we also got uh, a lot of yards that he picked up from short passes in the red zone to Jarek McKinnon or to Kyle Rudolph. Uh, the yards after catch for Jarek McKinnon uh, on screen passes and getting the offensive line moving and things like that. And, and I think that that's why Case Keenum was ranked so high, not necessarily because he had a lot of those plus two beautiful throws. Some, some he did, no doubt. The one against Detroit to Kyle Rudolph is beautiful, but a lot of times because of the situation he was given. And that's why it will be very interesting to see where he ends up ranking when he's with the Denver Broncos. They're not a terrible team, but they certainly don't have a Stephon Diggs and an Adam Thielen. And I think the same thing really works for Kirk Cousins because when you look at 2016 for Cousins, he had this great offensive line. Trent Williams is their future Hall of Fame left tackle. They had Pierre Garçon, who if you listen to the last episode, Matt Harmon talked about how important Pierre Garçon was to that uh, Washington offense. And then Deshaun Jackson catching deep balls too. the two tight ends, Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. I mean, both of those guys were really effective. Uh, we saw that when the Vikings played Washington uh, in 2016, how good those tight ends were. And in 2016, Kirk Cousins coincidentally was ranked in the top 10. I think you can tie those two things together for what kind of supporting cast you have. Of course, schematic system, play calling, all those things matter quite a bit. Uh, but I would say both quarterbacks had those things in Jay Gruden and in Pat Shermer. But the people around the quarterback, for someone like Case Keenum or Cousins, I think they have a lot to do with where the PFF grade comes in because of how it's done. So if you're throwing to a lot of open wide receivers then you're going to stack up those positive plays. But if you're getting a lot of pressure and you're not getting guys open, then you're going to try to make throws that maybe shouldn't be made. And then you're going to have bad interceptions and, and things like that that end up being negative grades. And so if I were to guess where the two guys land for next year, I guess they flip flop. 
I would guess that Case Keenum is in the middle to upper 1917 sort of area. And I would guess that Kirk Cousins is probably back in the top 10 uh, because I think that as far as executing an offense, as far as making the throws he's supposed to make, that's where Kirk Cousins is the strongest, that he can go to the line of scrimmage, he can read the defense properly, he can do the footwork, and he can throw an accurate ball. The biggest question about him has been some of the decisions when he gets under pressure or some of the times that he's asked to go off script, and that's where mistakes happen, trying a little too hard, holding on to the ball a little too much. And, that, and that's where those interceptions come from. But as far as if, if he can get the ball to open wide receivers to execute what he's supposed to do, your three-step drop, five-step drop, and find someone, uh, then he's going to stack up a lot of those positive plays. And my guess, Jake, is that he ends up with a higher PFF grade this year than than, Kirk, uh, than Case Keenum. Got another good question from Mike, another email. Uh, what is it like to cover other teams? So other than the Minnesota Vikings. Well, I've had the opportunity throughout my career, which is really nice, to cover a number of different sports and different teams. So uh, American League Hockey. I have covered single-A baseball. I've covered the NFL, the NHL, too. And uh, the, the biggest differences that I find, uh, I guess starting with the NFL from team to team, is how much the coach impacts how players and the team approach the media. So if the head coach does not want their players to say anything, if they want them completely tight-lipped, and uh, just an adversarial relationship with the media, then that's what you're going to get. And with Mike Zimmer, I wouldn't say it's exactly that way um, because when you talk football with a lot of the players, when you talk about you know, asking Stefan Diggs what's different between the slot and outside and things like that, I, I get a ton of great response from the players on, on things like that talking to Terrence Newman about why Diggs route running is so good or talking to Newman about what makes Delvin Cook special. This is the way that I learn a lot about the team and the game is through just having these football conversations with the players. What they don't really have a lot of time for is giving you sound bites. I, I think that's where they get annoyed with any sport is players. They know when they're kind of being baited into saying something about the other team or when they're being given kind of vague and uninteresting questions. And that's when they usually shut down and that's across. But as far as how they go on that, whether they want to be a talkative team or not, Zimmer doesn't want his team making headlines. So when you ask, Hey, what do you think about this player? It's going to be respect across the board for that player. If you're talking to a Minnesota Viking. Now, if you were talking to a Rex Ryan era Buffalo Bills player or New York Jets player, Rex Ryan didn't care. He was basically like, guys, you're adults, say whatever you want. And, you know, you have to deal with the consequences, but I trust you and I believe that you guys are going to be fine answering whatever questions. And sometimes that got turned back on him. Uh, there were there were times where. Uh, a player would be saying, yeah, I don't think we're doing a good enough job on defense or we're not getting the calls in fast enough. And the credit to Rex Ryan for me would be that Rex was good to his word. I mean, he would say, well, you know, I don't necessarily agree with Jerry Hughes or Mario Williams because I think I know my defense, but I'm interested in their opinions and I don't mind that he told you guys. 
I really like that approach, as you might expect, because then you feel like the player isn't looking over his shoulder when he's talking to the media. He's just talking to you as, as himself. And then if he wants to talk a little smack about the other team, that's totally fine. As we see all the time in the NBA uh, with Terry Rozier wearing the Drew Bledsoe jersey and stuff like that because he owned Eric Bledsoe. I mean, I think that stuff's great for fans, but you could see how coaches also wouldn't want to deal with any sort of distractions when they have so much to do. So I guess that's where I would start with football is it really goes team to team, coach to coach. But where football is different from a lot of the other sports is how regimented it feels from a day-to-day basis where there's so much media attention that things have to be like you march down to watch them stretch for exactly 10 minutes and then you march back to your media room and then you go into the locker room and you are allowed there for exactly 50 minutes and that's it or 45 minutes and that's it. And there's so much media there that it's not like hanging out with the players. Uh, I've been asked that question before, like, well, it's got to be cool to kind of hang around with the players, right? And it's like, that's not what we do, really. It's like someone might be at their locker and you ask them the questions you got to ask them and then you kind of move along. There isn't a whole lot of like, you know, chatting football or life with, you know, the guys in the locker room where in other sports there can be. Um, in hockey is one of them, depending on the team. Uh, I, I haven't covered anyone else. I really haven't covered the Minnesota Wild a lot, so I haven't covered anyone else except for the Buffalo Sabres and Rochester Americans organizations. But I felt like you could. there was a little more of a loose atmosphere, and hockey players were less defensive. Maybe it's because there's just less coverage, or a lot of them are from Canada. I don't know what it is. Uh, but maybe there's a little less of... Uh, we've got to watch out for the media sort of thing. And you can, with the recorder off, just kind of have a conversation. And it's very much that way up in the press box too, where you know maybe you're chatting with somebody who's in the front office, just off the record. Hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? It doesn't happen as much, especially not on a game day with the, the football people. Like I'm not standing over in the sideline at training camp and Rick Spielman comes over and says, hey, you got to watch this guy. There's very much this sort of separation between the media and the teams. And football is very serious about that. Baseball. I mean, in single A baseball, I used to go stand behind the batter's box or batter's uh, cage in uh, BP and I would just chat with the coaches, talk baseball. I would sit with the scouts uh, during batting practice and, hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think about that guy? And that sort of thing. And it was very much loose where you could kind of go into the clubhouse and hang around and there wasn't um, any sort of like team employee listening to every word you say or anything like that. So you could sort of build relationships a little bit more. Again, not talking about, hey, we're going to be best buddies and hang out later. It's a professional sort of relationship, but um, it's a little bit more loose when it comes to those two sports. I I think that's been the biggest difference for me. So I appreciate that question, Mike. That's a good one. Uh, Coming from Danny, another Kirk Cousins question, uh, which I I think is is a really good one. Um, How much this offensive line could impact Kirk Cousins? And I when we're talking about the right tackle decision, it feels like we're kind of beating that to death a little bit. Like, Oh, is it going to be Remmers at right guard? Is it going to be Remmers at right tackle? And can Rashad Hill play there? 
But there's a reason why we're beating that to death, and that's because with Kirk Cousins especially, I think it's very important. One of the issues that he's had over the last couple of years has been fumbles. He is last in the league, tied with Jameis Winston for the most fumbles of any uh, quarterback over the last three years. And when you think about that, like that's probably not just random. Um, maybe last year it was random that Case Keenum only had one. Uh, that, that doesn't happen that often. But uh, when you're talking about Kirk Cousins having 31 over the last three years, just any kind of fumble, not fumbles lost, and about half of those are lost, that's a, that's a fumble a game, basically, or, or almost a fumble a game. And that's pretty concerning. And one of the reasons that I see that he does fumble so often uh, is that one, he's not great at sensing some of the outside pressure. So when an edge rusher is beating his man around the corner, uh, cousins is not always good at knowing that that's, that's happening and then getting rid of the ball. And the other thing is too, that he tries to play hero and hang in the pocket and that can be really good. And there are some throws on tape with cousins where you go, wow, I mean, he just got popped and made a fantastic throw, and he waited that extra half a second and showed his toughness there. And there are other times where you're saying, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, if something isn't there on his first read, and that's where he gets strip-sacked. So when we're talking about Riley Reef and Mike Remmers, I think we all can agree that Reef is a solid tackle, and he'll get beat sometimes, but he's not anywhere near below average or anything like that. I mean, I think he's... A solid at his position and you can count on him but if there are injuries there if reef gets hurt like he did a couple of different times last year was playing dinged up or remmers was also hurt had the back issue last year and then you get into some of the depth that's where things could get pretty tricky for kirk cousins and where they did last year and i think this also is a good question. It's kind of about John D. Filippo in a lot of ways and how he's going to protect Kirk Cousins because you have thousands of different options for uh, blocking combinations and schemes and things like that. How much do you use the tight ends, the running backs? Do you, uh, on play action, one of the things that he's been really successful with, Cousins in Washington, was running something that looked like an outside zone handoff, but then play action and then roll out to the opposite side. So the offensive line is going all left play action. Looks like it's going to be a handoff left. And then he rolls out back to the right and finds his man either leaking out or deep down the field. I think we'll see quite a bit of that offensive line movement. It's something that Pat Shermer used. If you guys remember uh, against the Jaguars, when the offensive line was really at its worst with Sam Bradford in 2016, they used it quite a bit where they had, a lot of looks where you would have thought if you were a defensive lineman or linebacker, they were going to pull somebody or they were going to hand off. And instead it ended up being a pass play. I wonder how much of that there is with John D. Filippo's offense, because I would imagine he's noticed the, the same issue with cousins uh, because you know, if they both stay healthy, if it's Remmers and reef that whole time, or if Brian O'Neill wins that job and Remmers is in uh, inside at the guard, uh, they could still be a, a pretty good offense, uh, offensive line, but the ceiling on this year's offensive line is not top 10 in the league or top five in the league like Kirk Cousins had in 2016. The ceiling on this offensive line is they're going to be good, that, that they'll have something special that they do really well, which is move because of their athletes, but they're not going to be seven-step drop, sit in the pocket, wait all day for somebody to come open. 
that's just not going to be these guys, especially when you look at the schedule that they've got to play. So it's, it will be a huge storyline this year is and going into training camp, how much the offensive line is going to impact Kirk Cousins. So great question there from Danny. Um, and this from a tweeter, B. Kellner, K-E-L-L-N-E-R. Uh, I'll go follow him, I guess. I don't know if you wanted his Twitter name put out there on the Purple Podcast, but it is now. Uh, which projected non-starters could play the biggest role? So not guys that are going to be starting players who could have an impact this year. That's a really good question. Well, I mean, number one is Mike Hughes for the fact that if either Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes got hurt, that he is right into a starting role. That's one of them. Uh, the fact that he's not really projected to start right now, but he could win the nickel job. And if it's not him, then maybe, it, or if he does win that job, then maybe the non-starter would be Terrence Newman or Mackenzie Alexander uh, that could end up playing a pretty big role. I mean, Newman, the fact that he could play almost anything, he can play safety, he could play nickel, as we saw last year on the outside. If he was a little bigger, he could play linebacker. He just knows the defense that well. And he might kind of be a chess piece here on, on this defense if Mike Hughes wins that job. And why Terrence Newman will be a huge factor no matter what he does is... He impacts everyone around him in the locker room, in practice, on a daily basis. He runs extra sessions of film, and it's going to be one of his jobs to work with Mike Hughes. The other guy is maybe Anthony Harris, the backup safety. If either one of these safeties get hurt, and maybe that's not exactly the question. Maybe the question is who could mix in or who's not projected as a starter that could win a job. But I look at it as... Who are the most important depth players? Uh, I'm looking all on the defensive side here. Uh, I mean, when I look at the safeties and Sendejo and Harrison Smith, it's Anthony Harris behind those two guys. He made a big play against the Rams last year, but we've only seen him in kind of limited snaps over the last three seasons if one of those two goes out. And on the defensive ends, they will be uh, one of the positions I'm watching the closest when it comes to training camp. Of course, it's Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, but who's next up after that? I mean, Stephen Weatherly has been around now for three years and has not really gotten his opportunity, or this will be this will be year three, right, 2016 draft, and he hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunity yet so far. Tashawn Bauer flashed a little bit in preseason last year but didn't see much of the field. They want to have a rotation but at this moment, the only guy that's rotating in as of last year was really Brian Robinson, especially on third downs. And then you've got Hercules Mata'afa, who is now listed on the Vikings website as a defensive end. Before, he was listed as a linebacker. So which position he's going to play? And then Aday Aruna, who they drafted in the sixth round out of Tulane, he's another guy that has some potential because of his athleticism, but can he make something of that right away? And Afadia Denimo is another one who they drafted in the seventh round, spent last year on uh, the practice squad. Are, is anybody going to take a job here? Is anybody going to rise up in training camp, stand way out, and prove that they deserve to be a part of a rotation? I know that that sort of gets more into camp storylines, but whichever one of those defensive ends rises to the challenge could be the guy who's a non-starter that ends up making the biggest impact. So I hope that answered your question. B. Kellner from Twitter. Really appreciate that. 
And once again, anybody who wants to send a question along, whether it's about what we do as reporters or deep into the football weeds, Danny sent a couple of more about zone blocking and things like that. So we'll get into more of these. I'd love to do one of these every episode that we don't have a guest, and maybe I can even mix in some of these questions to guests as well. So feel free. Matthew Collar at Gmail is a good place to send them or on Twitter at Matthew Collar. Thanks, you all, for listening to this episode of the Purple Podcast. Don't worry. Courtney will be fine. She will be back on the podcast soon. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 